Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. There is not a door strong enough to keep you out. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 306, a.k.a. Sorry Face, is brought to you by Octopus Blowtorch for the lightly charred Katamar. Pete, as we wrap up June podcasting here with Jessica Jones, so glad to be looking ahead to the upcoming month. Continuing with Jessica Jones, continuing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Spider-Man Far From Home. Sure, we'll be hitting the round table with some of the other shows that we're looking forward to this uh, fall. I'm talking Watchmen. I'm talking Picard. What else am I talking, Pete? Uh, Star Wars Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Exciting times all around, but for now, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. The episode is written by Jesse Harris staff writer this season and directed by tim iacofano co-executive producer of this season last season and the last season of iron fist down by the train yard it's body parts galore and the nypd and the me mom would have been proud of the dipwad that has been exposed says jess detective costa's there too shocked by it all he is given Salinger's info, but he needs more evidence once he gets a warrant. Check behind the bureau, too. Trish picks Jessica up. The former is ready to jump to Salinger's apartment. The latter is ready for the NYPD to do their thing. Trish is late for her show, but ready to keep the JJ Hellcat team going. Elsewhere, Eric wakes up under the bright spotlight of Salinger. Eric's wiggling is messing up the photo shoot. What Salinger creates and captures on film is the point that death occurs as incidental. It's time for Eric to realize his true worth, and Salinger villain monologues about how unfair it is that cheaters have done better than him. At Malcolm's apartment, he's frantically searching online for more information about Barry. Zaya calls to see why Malcolm's not at the all-hands meeting at the law firm. He's not coming. Meanwhile, at the meeting, Hogarth gives a stirring speech about the troubles of Professor Peter and how his claims won't impact the firm after today. Time to fight for the client, starting now. Jerry grabs Zaya for a sidebar. Any word from Rand? Not yet. Later, Jerry sneaks to Professor Peter's memorial service. Outback son Laurent confronts Jerry. He knocks away her bagels, sending her to the ground, hurting her wrist accidentally. Later, Jerry and Zaya are keeping clients, and Stephen Benowitz of the old law firm shows up. He's out and proud, courtesy of Jerry's push. He's got client transfer papers. He's taking two-thirds of her business via Rand Enterprises. Mr. Rand hasn't stopped the change. He's on sabbatical. Hashtag season three, kids. Benowitz sees a silver lining. Time to take stock of your life and enjoy things. Jessica returns home, gets the Barry update from Malcolm, and the search continues. JJ calls Eric, and it's Salinger on the line. She'd be happy to tell Salinger how she found him. She just needs a location. Salinger tells her good luck and hangs up. Unseen is Eric fiddling with the tape that binds him. He gives a half-hearted apology for not having helped people with his powers and gets a knife slice for his troubles. Salinger knows Eric's keeping him talking. Just like Brother Donnie, 
Dad loved Donnie more than Donnie died, and Dad missed Donnie enough to stab our Salinger at the funeral. Salinger gets closer and closer, and Eric screams, his eyes bleeding, his powers overloading him. Later, Salinger rationalizes that he's not actually that cruel guy Eric thinks he is. Eric's a cheater, and Salinger has brain power that's better because it's real. Eric breaks out of his bonds, and a brief fight starts. Elsewhere, Jessica makes her way to Salinger's apartment and is about to up up and away onto the fire escape, but Costa reminds her that the department's got this. She's got to back off or get run for obstruction. Costa walks and accidentally drops the list of victims. Malcolm tracks down Barry's pimp and gives him a very satisfying once-over. Malcolm tells Barry about the serial killer, and it seems she'll hang close. Trish rejoins the fight, and JJ reminds her that they should be scared of this baddie. At the office, Dorothy is mad at her daughters, Natural and Foster, for messing things up. JJ says Trish has powers now, and proves it by the now-iconic social media gif of pushing Trish out the window. Surprise! Trish apologizes for the secrecy, but she's saving lives. And why is she this way? Because of you, Mom! Dorothy leaves, saddened. Jess goes to visit Malcolm and is surprised that he's there. Can she use his facial recognition software for unnamed victim number eight? While it's running, Jess wonders what's wrong with Malcolm. He demurs, and the software says victim number eight is Chef Casper Marks, quite alive. Knock, knock, Barry's back, ready for protection. Jess and Trish are back in the car, headed to Chef Marks's restaurant. He's there, cooking shrampy shrimp, surprised to hear that Salinger has a serial killer. He fesses up that Gregory was a regular customer who wanted to take pictures. He tied up Chef and took pictures, complaining about his medium-well steak. It didn't happen here, though. It was at an old kitchen. Hey, what's that address? JJ and Trish race there, breaking up the fight between Eric and Salinger. Eric's okay, but Salinger? Trish looks for him in the darkness, but he attacks. The gals take him out, and everything looks okay. Time passes and Costa fumes to Jessica. There's no proof Salinger killed those people. The excuses Salinger gave are baloney, but Costa can't make them stick. Her word against his, and Costa needs more. Another witness, perhaps? Eric wakes up at Alias, Trish keeping watch. He recognizes her from the bookie, but he will keep his mouth shut. Barry arrives, happy her brother is okay. Malcolm goes home to work on his muscles, and Barry follows. Malcolm just wants to be effective and a help. Barry's happy to help in a different way. Right about then, Zaya calls, and Malcolm lets things go. Jessica goes to see Jerry. Can she hypothetically get hypothetical help from a blackmailing client putting away a serial killer? Short answer, jail time for a year. Jessica leaves, but Jerry wants to know more about those train yard bodies. She returns home with good news. She's got a plan to get Salinger on kidnapping, namely Eric testifying and serving that year in jail. But he can't. He can't survive that close to badness. Trish is upset and ready to leave, but she'll be back tomorrow to keep working the case. Eric's impressed with how J.J. busted in to save the day. How about she snuggle closer? Oh, and Salinger talked about all the cheaters, the supers. He might be unleashed now. What suspects are our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Salinger. 
just when we think the guy can't be more of a monster, he finds a new level. And I continue to be amazed in what had become the tired pattern for Marvel Netflix of save your climax for the very, very end and don't do a midpoint story or don't do uh, pods or anything like that. Here we are, everybody important on the uh, storyboard, if you will, knows that Salinger is a bad guy, including Detective Costa and YPD, and kind of they can't do anything with it at this point, which is the complete opposite of other seasons of Marvel Netflix, where, no, we need to come up with excuses to delay. And it's, I, I just continue to be amazed at what a different animal this season is compared to other seasons of this show and other similar seasons. Well, we'll really dig into the idea behind being able to prosecute him in our next segment. But, um, you know, beyond the murder, which we know he's committed, just need to prove in a court of law, sometimes a, a greater challenge. The idea of torturing people and capturing their agony. Yeah, it was a very uncomfortable uh, scene uh, where, where he was there with Eric. And part of me was like, oh, I just kind of personally don't like this kind of serial killer stuff. Just, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with how the show did it. It was just you know, this isn't my cup of tea in terms of uh, kind of storytelling, but completely effective. And I think part of what makes it so effective to be with a true serial killer is that mental component that he brings, that cat and mouse with police. And whether it's fictional serial killers or the ones in real life, there's always that element of you can't quite catch up with them or the, the issue of evidence or things of that sort. And this really is a case where the character is strengthened by the chase, not just the villainy that he does. Checks a couple quadrants for Netflix as well beyond the Marvel villain, the serial killer aspect. This is their bread and butter right now. Well, luckily, Pete, Netflix must have lots of confidence in this show since it is similar to some of that other programming. Uh, let's move on to Malcolm, who uh, Pete in my mind, one of the worst things he did in this episode was uh, beat up Gore very, very badly within sight of the Jacob K. Javits Center, uh, which I was kind of okay with. Uh, I think we're more okay with that than we are with what he does later on with Barry. That, as Zaya is calling him on the phone. Yeah, that was that was a disappointing moment, I think, for, for viewers of the series. Uh, we know, of course, of Malcolm's addictive personality, and I certainly got the sense, without the show kind of going over the top, that there was just this dialogue inside his head, one that he's had before, maybe uh, in terms of substance abuse, but just this, is this a good idea or not? Well, let me give in to the moment, give in to the pleasure, etc. And we know how that's been a problem for him in the past. With Gore, it's a lot more of a black and white. Uh, we never pity that he gets pummeled by Malcolm. We'd like Malcolm to maybe not beat him so unconscious. Uh, and even when the girls are rushing in, I mean, part of that is fueled by commerce that, you know, they're, they're going to continue to try to work for him and, and need his protection. It's a bad situation all around, but this black and white bad guy gets his comeuppance 
that he does and perhaps even more murky is the uh the presence of laurent in the episode um i can understand his anger i can understand the the complex uh situation into which he's been thrust learning about the situation with his father and whatnot i mean look is he out of line that he knocks the tray of bagels out of jerry's hand yes he's out of line but i don't really pin jerry's injury on the haunt uh i'm not quite sure he doesn't have some blame there you, you shouldn't have uh you know knocked the thing out of her hand he doesn't know she's in the early stages of als uh but it doesn't help it lastly pete we have the uh, return of stephen benowitz and I certainly don't live in a world of lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can certainly imagine that there's times where, you know, lawyer to lawyer, here's the sweet serve, here's the sweet kind of comeuppance, but it's all, it's not necessarily personal. Uh, I think for, for Benowitz, there's a little bit of a personal pride in kind of spiking Jerry here on the, uh, the Rand, uh, Rand as a client. Uh, but I think, too, he was genuine by saying he got a bad shake from Jerry that freed him to be the person that he really is. It's the ultimate backhanded compliment that you helped me come to the realization of who I am and who I should be publicly. Uh, and now, you know, I know your big secret and, and you should just go enjoy the rest of your life while I poach your business. Yeah, it's... It, what makes it such a complex moment is I think we want we want to root for Benowitz to a certain degree in that, you know, he's out, he's got his life in order, he's living the way he wants to live, etc. Um, and we, you know, Jerry is difficult to root for, uh, certainly more anti-hero than hero. We, that doesn't mean we want her to lose in things, but he's just so calm, cool and collected and delivers the winning hand. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, let's stick with Jerry for a moment. Does her wrist injury, which of course gets referenced back in the office, does that come back in some form to play uh, a larger role, whether it's an excuse for her to see Kiff or to out her as, uh, as part of her larger injury? Will we see the return of the hurt wrist? Oh, I think the wrist is indicative of the condition she's suffering. Um, you know, the the onset of the, um, the the larger symptoms, falling out of bed. Now she's got an issue with her limb. Um, yeah, I think it's hashtag all connected. I will say something that I've said in the podcast in the past. I can't imagine she makes it to the end of the season, the very, very end, you know, when those final credits roll, there's got to be some sort of sense of now she's retired or now it's worsening, whatever it is, we kind of, regardless of the fact as to whether they knew or didn't know the status of a, a fourth season after this one, I feel like Jerry has to pay the story price come the end of the season. We're going to see. I want to examine this whole idea of a chain of evidence in this episode, Matt. We have all these body parts found in their plastic bags, in the tank, in the train yard. And yes, there are no fingerprints on these, but 
come on, a private investigator saw the suspect go there. By the way, the private investigator was stabbed by that suspect as well. So though there are no prints and the DA has passed and there's this very murky situation of, you know, the, the blackmailer and Eric and the legality and the believability of his uh, statements if he chooses to testify and then what he's opening himself up to as far as prosecution and his very special circumstances, if he goes to jail, what that would do to him. Is this a little soft on the storytelling with uh, with Salinger and his legal guilt? I think, is it soft for P.I. Pete or P.I. Matt, who found the body parts, who saw Salinger enter the tanker? Maybe. But I think that where the story has a very believable out is when Costa spells it out as normal guy who is, you know, who has no priors and is a community volunteer versus this kind of, you know, dingy super who's had trouble in the past. And I think there we get a little story hand waving in the best sense to say, you know, why, why would uh, Magnum PI, you know, be able to uh, bring this case home and Jessica Jones can't it's because of, the baggage that she brings as a powered person and somebody who's been kind of on the gray side of the law before on the blackmail. I'd love to hear from some of our listeners who have involvement in terms of uh, police experience investigations, what that might mean as far as accepting a statement. Certainly. I, I mean, again, from the legal layperson standpoint, if you tell me, Oh man, you know, in, in, in whatever procedural, whether it's your Jessica Jones, Law and Order, CSI, Dragnet, whatever, if you say, oh man, we can't use Eric as the primary uh, witness or the primary, you know, person to testify because of his own complicated past, not just with crime, but with matters of the truth vis-a-vis -vis blackmail, again, I totally buy it as you know, might, might a jury believe it? Maybe, but the DA has to bring charges first. And if the DA doesn't want to touch it because of all these circumstances, again, I kind of find that believable as well. How about Danny Rand of Rand Enterprises, Matt, being mentioned in this episode? It was such a great moment. And it took me back to the last two minutes of season two of Iron Fist, which is an awesome beginning of a third season that we won't see. Uh, it was a nice minute of connectivity. We're kind of used to these references. You know, Cloak and Dagger season two was like, oh man, look at that guy, Luke Cage. I think when there are the little references, they're cute. You know, Misty Knight knowing uh, Detective uh, O'Reilly and, and things like that. Those are neat little moments that may be a little forced but it gives us a chuckle because hashtag it's all connected something like this where it's been previously established that rand enterprises has a relationship with hogarth uh, you know professionally and all of that and then now danny rand's not there to stop it because of something you saw in iron fist season two this fits perfectly this is this is a wonderful use of that kind of story space if only he could come back from his sabbatical. Do we read that as canceled or do we read that as uh, Finn Jones will show up in this season? 
Well, Pete, I, I I'm I'm very well insulated towards any spoilers. And as we're recording this, the show has been out, you know, what about two weeks now? So I think, you know, if there was the the massive bomb of Oh my goodness, in the final 30 seconds, all the defenders come together and say, all right, what's next? Let's go fight aliens. You know, that, that would have spilled out, I think, even to mine pure ears. Uh, I have heard there's a neat something, um, I think towards the end of the season, maybe in, in the last episode, I may have misheard. This might have been it at the midpoint. Um, I think that the, the reference to the sabbatical, that's just his adventures in the Far East as we saw at the end of that second season. Uh, again, an awesome idea for a season. Why didn't they just do that for a season two? But oh well. Um, but we shall see, Pete. Dorothy knowing about Trish and her abilities now is a wonderful idea, isn't it? I mean, it's a wonderful idea story-wise. She, she's been uh, an okay mom this season. However... It's not ever far in the minds of the characters, and it shouldn't be far in the minds of we, the audience, that she's manipulative, that she's willing to trade her daughter for fame, her daughter for money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the notion that things are great now because the the dinged Trish product has gone from you know radio show and prominence to selling stuff, presumably not on a great time slot, although better time slot on this you know tv shopping network great trish's interests and mom's interests have been aligned here we are halfway through the season let's ruffle that up a little bit where now they do have slightly different interests and it gets more dorothy in there gets more dorothy causing trouble dorothy as the mom and the foster mom wonderful wonderful story idea uh, which is all going to work out so so well with Salinger, Matt, and the very interesting aspect that one of his victims that he photographed got away, is alive, is found by Jessica, that they're able to uh, put together the pieces of where Eric's being held. Um, also interesting that Casper Marx was working with uh, Squid in his kitchen, Hail Hydra. <laughs> Okay, well, let's start with that last one first, Pete. I don't know that his working with Squid is necessarily proof that he he's one of the Hydra people that got away, although one never knows. Maybe, oh my goodness, Pete, maybe it's a secret Hydra-themed restaurant. He continues to do well because the leftovers of Hydra come for their Hydra-esque meals. How, how do you think Salinger knew them, Matt? They're, <laughs> they're all at the same places. <laughs> um, but... It is, I mean, I guess it's the story fuel that the episode requires to have a victim that's not quite a victim that then gives a, a little bit more background. Most specifically, I used to work at a commercial kitchen location. Wait, that's where he is now because it closed up. So a little bit of convenience there. Um, I think, too, if nothing else, without it being directly referenced in the episode, we do get this notion of, see how bad a guy well, certainly let's say from the da end from the frustrated detective costa end how bad a guy could this be all right so he was a little you know kinky or whatever with casper marks but at the end of the day it was like a weirdo thing where nobody got hurt besides being embarrassed as opposed to casper marks saying no he you know chopped off my fingers or something like that so again without being referenced by the nypd it kind of strengthens this issue of this legal issue of there's no proof that Salinger is a bad guy. 
we had learned in the previous episode that uh, Salinger's brother died in some kind of accident. There was a settlement. Um, but now we've gotten a name on the brother, Donnie. Um, did Salinger kill his brother, Donnie, who he saw as unintelligent and untalented? I think that we could go there. There is the story potential. I feel like thus far, not only is there a lack of evidence, but I just feel, I feel like emotionally that, that scene, which referenced Donnie reference, multiple references to Donnie. Um, I feel like it didn't quite have that gleeful mustache twirling, you know, I did it. Nobody figured out sort of sense. Again, the show could totally double back and re recast that if you will. Uh, but I think thus far it was just, I kind of read that scene as Salinger had felt he had this opportunity through his brother's untimely death, uh, to be more appreciated by dad. And even in death, obviously, as we, as we heard, uh, he was still number two to the point that dad wished it was, uh, Gregory and not Donnie. Stabbing him in the chest at the funeral luncheon, that's extreme. That reads to me that he knew something about what happened to his beloved son uh, and, and took action on his, on his own. If indeed what Gregory Salinger is saying is true, and could we be setting up you know, a flashback or things of that sort where we get to see that, where we get the truth that Gregory Salinger killed his brother. Absolutely. Again, at this point, though, I'm a little wary to completely believe his series of events since he is, you know, the psychotic super genius serial killer. Uh, you know, could it be he stabbed me, by which I mean to say he dropped his butter knife and it fell on my toe. And now I've turned this into the grand attack against me because everyone's out to get me and take away the things which should be mine. I think it could go either way. Did he kill his father? Um, I think that if we don't return to the father in these remaining seven episodes, then that story potential not quite met. Uh, we know, of course, that there are these hidden victims. I love the idea, and love in a dark sense, love in a story sense. I love the idea that uh, his father could have been the earliest victim, but not part of the photo collage, the vacuum bag, etc. Uh, certainly, we have so much story left, and we need to do more with this guy other than, yes, I will testify against him after all. Boom, now we have a case. More evidence will help. Obviously, Malcolm and Zaya are headed for a rough patch of water, Matt. But did you detect a little bit of chemistry between Zaya and Jerry in this episode? I think there is from Zaya some professional uh, chemistry. Now, could that spill over? Maybe. I think that Zaya definitely is happy to be the number two in the office, um, whether it's in the professional capacity or kind of the personal professional capacity, I don't think lines have been crossed at this point. But again, you know, if we if we magically transport ourselves to the season three writers' room as all this is there on the whiteboard, got to do something for these upcoming episodes, these seven episodes, and 
whether it's Jerry interested in Zaya or Zaya interested in crossing lines for personal reasons, out of betrayal from Malcolm for professional reasons, as it's battened down the hatches at the law firm, all of these are great story ideas. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, a brief email from our pal Justin Turner. Dear Pete and Matt, I haven't heard you guys talk about Jillian, Jessica's trans secretary. What are your thoughts? I did see an article that had discussed her recently, uh, actually played by a trans actress. But Matt, I mean, to this point in the season, it's okay. This is just another character. It's not been part, shall we say, of the story. It's somebody who helps Jessica out in a in a support capacity, Uh, somebody who happens to like Trish as a person more than Jessica. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been a character at this point. Yeah, and I think that that's part of the uh, th- that's part of the smart move here by having the character of Jillian played by Anesh Chef. Uh, you know, they're not. This is not a character who is trans because they're trans. It's a trans character played by a trans actress who, you know, is there primarily as the assistant, as the person who's making sure the pills are being taken, that you wash it down with water, not bourbon, that uh, this gets done, that gets done in a professional capacity. And I think the the quiet statement there of it's not a big deal, that is the statement. And, you know, certainly an apropos one, particularly Pete, as we wrap up June. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a thing that is, uh, you know, having it for the sake of having it just happens to be that way. With that, Pete, this podcast episode, as all of them, made possible by the people who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, making sure that our podcast remains sustainable, remains listener-supported, keeps that back catalog going, and our future plans getting closer and closer. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar to get you in that door. So get yourself to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek today. All sorts of perks there, but the best perk, Pete, is talking to you on Twitter, and that's a freebie. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,545 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Pete, looking ahead to next week, we of course have Spider-Man Homecoming uh, coming up. We will be seeing it on Tuesday. However, uh, we know listeners love to get their thoughts in before we podcast that, so... Uh, about this time next week, you know, shoot for shoot for that Sunday uh, is when we'll be doing the podcast on it. So as you see Spider-Man Homecoming in these coming days, be sure to share your thoughts with us. I've seen it. It is wonderful. Can't wait to talk about it with you. Well, that Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. At least take the bagels. 